father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today is episode 179 with Coach Jerry Finkbeiner. Coach Finkbeiner is a former Utah State Oral Roberts University and Southern Nazarene women's basketball coach. He is known as the creator of the Twilight Zone or what we call the Buzz Defense. Jerry just recently uh, left Utah State uh, due to medical leave of absence for a non-life-threatening health condition. Jerry Finkbeiner coached eight seasons as the head women's basketball coach at Utah State. He is just the second male coach in Utah State history joining Bob Corbin, who was the Aggies coach from 1984 to 86. Finkbeiner is the only second USU coach since the reinstatement of the program in 2003 when Reagan Pebbly took over. Finkbeiner has an overall record of 570 and 366 in 30 years as a collegiate head coach, including his time at Utah State, Oral Roberts, and Southern Nazarene. He is also 24th in the nation among, among Division I coaches with 570 career wins. Finkbeiner came to Utah State from Oral Roberts in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he spent 16 years as head coach. During his tenure at ORU, the Golden Eagles averaged 17 wins per season and advanced to postseason play eight times with five trips to the NCAA tournament and three appearances in the WNIT. As the head coach at Oral Roberts, Finkbeiner led the Golden Eagles to seven seven, sub-league regular season and tournament titles and six 20-win seasons. At ORU, Finkbeiner coached five All-Americans, eight Conference Players of the Year, five Conference Newcomers of the Year, and 26 All-Conference Selection. He was named Conference Coach of the Year twice during his ORU tenure. In his six years prior to ORU, Finkbeiner led Southern Nazarene to three straight NEI national titles and a combined 99-4 record from 94 to 96. Finkbeiner posted a 186-20 record in six seasons at SNU. 
During his career at Southern Nazarene, Finkbeiner cooked nine NEIA All-Americans and a two-time NEIA Player of the Year, while five of his players went on to play professional basketball overseas. Finkbeiner and his wife, Reva, have five children, two daughters-in-law, and two sons-in-law. Isaac, Angela, Ben, Alicia, Corbin, Nathan, Micah, Tommy, and Bethany, and 11 grandchildren. His son, Ben, is the associate head coach for the Utah State Aggies. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Jerry Finkbeiner. Good morning, Coach. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I got you. Good. I agree, man. You're on. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. I'm really excited about this. I think I'm I, – I know I'm going to – and so forth, but just a great honor to have somebody who's just been in the game for so long. So I appreciate you taking the time out to join me. Sure, Kevin. You make me sound old. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. No, I, I hear you. It's, it's, uh, I look forward to joining this podcast and our, our, our point of conversation. So uh, go ahead. You got questions. We got comments. Uh, I'm sure I got lots of illustrations. So tell me to calm down when I need to and tell me to stop when I need to and I'll follow your lead. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I can't really say anything about because – I'm, I'm, I just turned 56 and I've been coached. This is my 30th year of coaching. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, but you know what? It feels like I, I don't feel 56. I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but my, my body sometimes does. I can't get out there and play that much anymore. So um, I know nature, nature is uh, tough to beat, right? Well, I tell you, I, I've always thought through the years, Kevin, that, basketball coaching probably like other sports too but it's a young man young woman's uh game full of energy and it, and it keeps those of us in the coaching realm young and and energetic and i've uh i've kind of i tell my friends right now that i'm 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 out of coaching right now just because i'm tired i don't know if i'm retired yet but uh i've enjoyed this year off kind of back away from the game and kind of getting a thirty thousand foot view uh, of it but I definitely miss the energy of practice and, and the competition at games, but yeah, it keeps us young. It keeps us young. There's no question about it. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing with us about that. Uh, but I know that um, 
you know, you're you're just at Utah State, and um, and sometimes it's good to kind of take a break, right, to reflect a little bit. I think us coaches probably need to do that more. Well, you know, I I'm I'm parting the program this year. Uh, I left in the late fall. Uh, I I had a conversation with my AD. Oh, a month or two later. And I, I told him, I said, this may be a very radical idea, but man, I've, uh, with all the experience I've had, the years I've, I've coached, I've probably learned more about myself and the game just in the month and a half, two months that I've been gone in that uh, October, November time period. Then uh, I thought this can be really radical, but man, I thought it'd be, it'd be really cool if you could structure in a coach's contract that you make a mandatory leave from the game for maybe a semester or for the summer where they have no obligations, their staff takes over. Uh, it's just amazing when the pressure's off and you're able to get away from the game, how introspective you can be on yourself, uh, your philosophy, and the game of basketball. So, um, yeah, it's, I wish I would have done this maybe 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's, kind of, it's definitely refreshing, but – I think it's probably more than that. It's just you, you become a little introspective about life and about the game and how you coach, how you deliver it uh, strategically. Uh, but it's, it's been quite an experience, you know, to kind of sit back and watch from 30,000 feet this year. Absolutely. And I'm hoping to see you back, Coach, <laughs> um, and, <clears throat> because I always want, you know, really the, the great coaches out there, um, Coach as long as you can because you guys are true assets to the game. So I really appreciate you actually coming in and sharing with me. Hey, talk about your growing up with basketball and growing up with sports. How much uh, did sports have an impact on what you're doing right now? Yeah, I've uh, Kevin, I'm a coach's son. Uh, in fact, my father is still doing well health-wise. He's 87 years old, lives in Boise, Idaho. Uh, and uh, still talk hoops with him. But when I was growing up, you know, uh, probably typical of most coaches' kids, you know, I thought I owned the gym. I thought all the, the rack of basketball was, was mine. Um, you know, just lived in the gym, and, and uh, my idols and my, my heroes were, were the guys that played for my dad. And I, as I got into college, I played college ball at Southern Nazarene University in Oklahoma City. Um, I went to school as a pre-dental uh, major and with the goal <laughs> of making money and uh, right. going that, that approach. But then about middle of my junior year, I was talking to a, a professor who also has some coaching background and, he's, and we're talking about life and talking about the future. He said, where's your comfort zone? I said, well, I've been raised in a gym. I love hoops and that's all I've done. And he said, well, that's probably where you ought to be in, in, in your future life too. When you get out of college is do, do what you do well and, own and and it's almost kind of like, like a god calling so to speak is that don't go for money go for go for happiness and go for uh you know the love of life so uh i'm glad he steered me that direction and and uh basketball has been a big part of my life i my we have five children uh, my second son has been in coaching and so it's kind of a three generation thing in fact at oral roberts about 10 years ago my second son benjamin think binder ben he was my grad assistant, and my dad was a volunteer coach. And so we had three, three generations of think fighters <laughs> on the bench. And right. uh, probably my fondest picture is a memory of all three of us sitting on the bench in the heat of a game. And, and that particular team went to the NCAA tournament. So it was capped off by just an incredible book. 
at March Madness. And so, yeah, it, it's come full circle with me being a coach's kid and passing that baton on to my son, Ben. And uh, obviously my family lives uh, basketball and lives and dies with wins and losses with me. And, uh, but yeah, I, I reflect back, but I also look for the future. The, the game is incredible. And it not only is it a give, uh, you know, to me and, and to coaches like you, Kevin, but to, we're able to pass on some good stuff to kids that's underneath our influence. Yeah, that's so true. And I know that, um, you know, even I know that I have a, I have a, um, assistant coach that played for me. So, uh-huh. um, and so what, what a valuable – and it's one of those things where I knew when coaching her, she was going to be a coach or a leader somewhere. She had those qualities, and uh, she's doing a great job for me. Uh, kind of keeps me under control. Um, <laughs> but she knows she knows me. She knows uh, what I expect, which is always good to have former players as coaches. Uh, talk about who had an impact on your philosophy. Well, probably, um, it's a good, good question. Uh, obviously my dad you know, grew up, I sat on the bench with him, uh, from age five or six and, you know, through my junior high years. Then as I played more myself, uh, I kind of sat and watched him from afar, but he grew up, actually, I grew up in Southern California and my dad, John Wooden, uh, Jerry Tarkanian, kind of that, that group of guys back in the 70s, and and uh, probably John Wooden. I grew up in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I remember the days we, we'd play a high school basketball game Friday night, and then all the Bruin games were on tape delay at 10 o'clock. Uh, and so we'd, we'd play our game, and then we'd all go hang out at a friend's house and, and watch the Bruins play. And everybody, every kid in Southern California wanted to be a Bruin. And uh, so I'd say John Wooden, obviously with his philosophy of life, uh, how he how he brings how he's brought that into his coaching philosophy and his team and their goal set. So I, John Wooden was definitely probably the, the the biggest impact on me as a coach. But then I'll tell you too, Bobby Knight. Uh, I, I've always respected his his game and and his fundamental base. And I'll never forget. I forgot the 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 player's name, but he had a player. Uh, outstanding player that got in a bad car wreck. Do you remember that story? And I do. I do. Um, yes. Well, that that weekend, uh, I was a young high school coach in, in Idaho, and Bobby Knight spent his summer, spent a, a portion of every summer in Idaho fishing. But before he fished, he always did this Idaho, Idaho clinic. And uh, anyway, I was part of that clinic as, as, a, as a coach, high school, young high school coach. And I'll never forget, we were in a room, probably about 80 to 100 coaches. And uh, you didn't dare whisper across the table because you're afraid Bobby Knight might jump on you. Uh, it was the most <laughs> intense clinic I've ever been a part of. Uh, and, and just note-taking galore. But that weekend is when his, uh, his uh, team member got in a bad car wreck, is actually paralyzed. But it was scheduled to be like, a, I think, six hours for two days on a Friday and a Saturday. If my memory serves me, serves me correct, uh, the, the, uh, the, the car wreck happened the night before the first um, clinic. And he came in that morning and gave us the news. He said, hey, uh, you guys pay for this. You plan around this, you know, this weekend. I'm going to give you all 12 hours in one day. It might, it might have been 10 hours. I can't remember. Wow. But yeah. he went from 8 in the morning to about 6 o'clock at night just straight. 
and uh, very intense. But I always appreciate Bobby Knight's work ethic. I remember writing him a note. In fact, I did the same thing that John John Wood and both these guys wrote me back. And here I was a young high school coach that they had no knowledge of, but that always really meant a lot to me. And, and to this day, whenever I have a, a coach write me, I always try to make sure I write back a note because just what John Wooden did and, and Bobby Knight did for me and the impression left on me as a coach. Yeah, that'll never leave you, right? I mean, and and I'm sure when you talk to coaches like myself or younger coaches, you you just kind of carry on that tradition, right? So those guys had a, a, a huge impact. How do you how do you build culture? So I, I coach, I know you're going to be back on the on the bench uh, fairly soon, but what what do you do when you're coming into a po- program? How do you build the right culture? Well, you know, that's a, a really good question I've reflected on the last few months because I've been in several programs and probably three programs, uh, Southern Nazarene in Oklahoma City, uh, Oral Roberts in Tulsa, and then Utah State uh, in Logan, Utah. And both, all three of them were probably extended stays. And so part of the, uh, oh, maybe the byproduct or the, or the fruit of, of, of a lengthy stay, you have a chance for that culture to kind of kind of grow and, and kind of uh, be absorbed and kind of work its way into the, 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 the routine of the day and, and the lifestyle of the, of, the, of the program. And so, uh, but thinking back on that, if, if a young coach or a young man or a young woman or anybody, you know, when you jump around and you don't have a chance to have that time to be invested, I think it'd be very hard to establish a culture. I think a lot of times coaches uh, uh, in, in, in more than one generation, younger ones and older ones, a lot of times we tend to jump around a lot because the grass looks greener on this side of the fence and, and that culture never really has a chance to be established. And mm-hmm. I think the answer to the question, Kevin, would be um, it's kind of a, a lifestyle thing. You know, who are you as a coach? Are you, by nature, are you a run and gun guy or by nature, are you a conservative or by nature, uh, are you creative? And, and I think these things have to come out in your coaching. Um, I'm, I think by nature, I'm an offensive coach and uh, I like to score points by nature. And so I think my comfort zone as a coach then is to you know, put that in my defense, put that in my offense, instill that in the recruiting aspect of it, instill that in the development of the game. You know, what, what, who are you at heart? And then try to portray that in your philosophy. I think if you, if you try to be a person, be a coach who you're not, I think you're always going to struggle with uh, confidence, with consistency, <clears throat> with uh, depth and of knowledge of what you're trying to do, as opposed to, you know, who are you basically as a person? How do you view basketball? And then just try to, you know, put that in your, in your, in your daily uh, notes and, and how you come across your kids and, and how you coach the game. That's a tough question for us, right? Cause we, we got, we got to dig deep and find out who we are. The, the tough thing with that coach is there's so many resources out there today that we could, we can copy and paste. Right. Um, and I think it's tough to find, go within yourself to reflect like who you are. But I think that's a great question to ask. And, uh, I'm, I'm not sure a, a lot of coaches are doing that, but that's step number one, right, in coaching? Well, yeah, and I, you know, and that question you asked me, to tell you the truth, I was 
probably unprepared to answer that because it, and, but, but again, it's, it's probably a, a very crucial question uh, of philosophy of, you know, how are you going to put your product on the floor? And, uh, you know, if you're a high school coach, how are you going to develop your kids? And if you're a college coach, which kind of kids are you, are you looking for? Um, but I have, you know, I have thought about that before. And like I say, I, I think with the cut and paste po- uh, culture and, and uh, just information at our fingertips, it's, it's very tempting and very easy to go that, that, that route of kind of hit miss and kind of shoot all over the place as opposed to being focused uh, and some core values of everything from how you discipline your kids to, to what kind of offense, what kind of defense you run. I, I, I think it gets back to that core value of, of who you are as a person and try to push that through philosophically into day-to-day routine and habits and, and how you treat your staff and how you treat your kids and, and what you're trying to press upon them and what kind of product you're supposed you're trying to do to win basketball games. Yeah, and I uh, spoke to a, a coach yesterday, Matt Hackenberg, out of Ohio. Great coach, a young coach, only coaching eight years so far, but uh, very organized. Uh, you can you know what his system is, uh, and I think young coaches need to do need to number one have it written down, have it in, so you have it established. But you also got to sell it every day, right? Yeah, you do, and you, know, you use that word organized. Uh, I think. Kevin, too. I think there's organized coaches and there's unorganized coaches, <laughs> and, and, and both are successful. You know, right? I think if you're kind of a, a you know, by the seat of your pants type of coach, uh, I think there's things you can do effectively to meet those that kind of persona and that kind of philosophy. And uh, I'm probably more the seat of the pants coach versus versus organization. And if I try to be too organized, I probably would start spinning the mud uh, and vice versa. Uh, you're an organized guy, a gal, uh, <clears throat> trying more creative and kind of let, let things go, let things evolve. Uh, there's going to be frustration there too. So yeah, it, it, that's, a, that's a good, deep question um, that probably would be taught in coaching 101 classes, you know, of, of who are you and how can you maintain that that consistency of, of, of thought and practice into, you know, your, your profession as a basketball coach. But I do, I do really believe that if you're going to push confidence and, and instill that in your kids, I think, you know, your core values have to come out in the philosophy of coaching and, and what kind of game plan you put together based on who you are, because that's going to come out in the, in the form of confidence and, and depth and, and, uh, and uh, you know, just knowledge of what you're trying to put together. Yeah, and it's, it's important to be have a lot of clarity, right, Coach? Uh, and I, I think, like you said, is your actions say a lot. So if you're telling your kids one thing on paper and then not executing it, that's not – your culture's not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you and I, we're not going to be John Wood and we're not going to be Bobby Knight. But we take things from what they do – and incorporate into who we are. And, uh, you know, so I, I just, that, yeah, that's, I mean, you've asked that good question and I've kind of stumbled around, but the bottom line is you can take from other people, you can steal from other people, you know, uh, there aren't too many brand new thoughts in the game of basketball, but then how do you <laughs> synthesize that? And how do you, how does that come out of your mouth? 
you know, how do you blow your whistle in, in portraying these things you want to get across? But I think it's all about getting ideas and, and interpreting philosophy and synthesizing into who you are as Coach Finkbeiner or Coach Furtado, you know, on the floor day to day. I think your kids will be able to read that on the sincerity of, of who you are and what you're trying to do. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that that's that's we just finished step one of the basketball coaching philosophy course. <laughs> so that you got to ask a few questions there, but philosophy is important, Coach. I I want to talk about your defense, and um, forgive me if I say the buzz defense, what we call because I know you call it the twilight zone. Um, but I want you, uh, and I'm going to ask you various questions. I want you to build the defense for me. We run this defense, um, and I'm a little crazy, and that is we run it, um, you know, half court, uh, quarter court. We run a 2-2-1 press, and that's what we do in our program. And But I don't see a lot of teams kind of using that style. Um, talk about the buzz defense or the twilight zone defense and how it was created and, and um, how it was formed. All right. Good. Uh, okay. We'll go from a philosophy uh, segment now to history segment. Um, okay. Yeah, the, the twilight zone um, and, and it's been called other names of buzz. And I'd like to take a little bit of credit for it. Uh, the buzz is, is uh, coach DeVillis uh, uh, from, that's been from a, a small school in Idaho to back at Wisconsin Green Bay and Illinois, other places. He's done a great job in publicizing his version of it. Uh, my version of it um, actually came my very first women's coaching job was at a school called Northwest Nazarene University in Napa, Idaho. And uh, it was back in the, I can't remember now, probably the uh, 83, <laughs> 84, somewhere in that time period. We played in the, in the NAI district that had University of Portland in it. And University of Portland, uh, I was just there at North, Northwest Nazarene for one year. And University of Portland had won the, the district oh, several times before and uh, pretty much dominated the district uh, the year I coached it. And his coach's name was a guy <laughs> by the name of David Olmstead. And mm-hmm. he ran this spread zone defense. And uh, I don't know where Dave's whereabouts are right now, but I know he had a lengthy career in, in girls and women's basketball in Oregon. Uh, he won uh, several state championships with it, and that's what got him to University of Portland. But long story short, that year we competed against him. We played two, maybe three times. They, they got us all, all, you know, every, every game. Uh, I think we competed with each game closer as we played them. Uh, but I'll never forget, He's kind of uh, from the bench. He was very not very excitable. Uh, he had total command of his kids. Uh, it was a, a, a defense that just was I'd never seen before, and uh, totally dominated the district. And uh, it was a, just, I just called it a spread zone. Sometimes they trapped, sometimes mm-hmm. they didn't. I called Coach Olmstead after the season's over. I said, Coach, can I get your notes? Can I can I, I respect what you're doing? I see all your success you've had in it. And he said, Coach Finkbeiner, he said, I'm not going to tell you a thing. If you want to know something about it, you watch tape, you come scout us, but I'm not going to tell you anything. So, <laughs> so his spread zone that I called uh, kind of morphed into what I call the – I kind of, my pet name is the Twilight Zone that I gave it uh, several years later. But 
um, watched a lot of tape and, uh, you know, kind of came up with my version of it. And I'm sure uh, others uh, out there have, have gone on and called the buzz, other things, but it's very unique defense. Um, I, I think my, my biggest fault in coaching, I had a lot of success with it at Southern Nazarene, had a lot of success with it at Oral Roberts. Um, out here at Utah State, I kind of backed away from it. And I'm kind of going against my own hmm. philosophy of, of what you and I are talking about. I, I played probably too safe out here. I tried to build a program from another dimension and, and I wanted to work my way into the twilight zone, but never could really get any traction uh, out here with it uh, as far as the stealing it in the program. And it's, it's really my bad. Uh, and I think when I stepped back two or three months, I kind of looked at some of those things too that, that I wish I would have instituted earlier and, and sold earlier in, in you know, what I try to do out here at Utah State. But back to the origin of it, um, really hard to play against. And uh, I like the style because they scored a lot of points with it. I like the style because it was hard to scout as an opponent. Um, and uh, for probably, I don't know, uh, 22 of my 28 years of college basketball, I've had a lot of success with, uh, success with it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. What, what I love, Coach, is your transparency because most coaches would not say that. They would not say, hey, you know, it was for different reasons. Um, so uh, did, is it harder at the Division One level? Because I don't see anybody – I think, Mike, they tried to run it at Illinois, and I think they struggled with it. Is it harder at the Division One level? Um, and, and you don't have to answer that question, but it seems like it's very effective at the small college level, but I really don't see it at the high school level. So, um, but I think it's a great deal. Yeah, I just do. I, if I would, uh, I got it, you know, from David Olmstead, who had really good success at the University of Portland with it. Um, he won three high school state championships in Oregon, if I remember right, uh, I think what it does, it, it capitalizes on probably the weakest fundamental in, in women's and girls' basketball, and that's passing, uh, upper body right. strength of snapping the ball across the court. Um, also, on the women's side, men's side, or excuse me, on the women's or girls' side, you can't throw above the zone and to a person that's cutting baseline and kind of catching it and dropping it in the basket, you know, lob pass, lob dunk. Um, so there's certain things kind of built into the philosophically that uh, it really attacks the women's game in the, in the weakest fundamental, which I believe is, is passing and passing skill. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I think as you move up in skill level, passing gets better. Uh, upper body strength is, is more efficient. And I, I know at Oral Roberts, we, we won the conference five times and, with the NCAA tournament five times, with the WIT several times. Uh, the, and so we had success with it uh, at Oral Roberts. And I, I think it can be used at other Division One schools. What you really have to do, I think as it gets harder and harder culturally, is a high-risk defense. Um, it's a conceptual defense. You know, man-to-man, it's all about step-slide, step-slide. It's all about jump-to-pass. It's all about having a triangle. It's very robotic and very fundamental, and you got to spend a lot of time doing it, but almost everybody can be a good man-to-man player. 
in the twilight zone, uh, boy, selling it mentally is more crucial because it's very unorthodox, uh, is not robotic, is very conceptual, is very fluid, and it's high risk, high reward. And so the kids that are successful with it are very fluid, and they 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 don't mind getting beat every once in a while because high risk. It's also high reward. You get a steal, you get a layup. Um, just the mentality of of from that approach is totally different than a man to man. And most most coaches out there uh, were man to man people. It's very fundamental. It's very solid. It's very safe. Uh, it's a backbone of, of good defensive philosophy as opposed to the twilight zone is, you know, you got to have kids that are kind of built a little bit differently, you know, that uh, it can be uh, the fun element can be injected to the game with success. Um, again, the high risk kids. And when I, I had most success at it at Southern Nazarene, which is NAI school. Then uh, we won national championships three years in a row. And that, that got me to division one or Roberts, but, um, a lot of success with it. And I think, too, um, at the college level, you have a chance to recruit. And I, I try to find these kind of kids at Southern Nazarene and Oral Roberts, you know, from the mental side of it. Mm-hmm. But then also there's some physical elements of each position that you're looking for, too, that, that re- really create a good fit, you know, on the floor running the defense. So it's, you know, it, it's when I say conceptual, it's it's kind of thinking outside the box, and the kids kind of have to take on a different different way of looking at the game of basketball. It speeds the game up. Uh, it's fun to play. It's fun to watch. Uh, once you institute it in your in your uh, game plan, um, it's very low maintenance. Uh, we kind of joked earlier. You have organized organized coaches and, and seat of the pants coaches. Well, I, I'm a little more the seat of the pants. And what I like about Twilight Zone is once you establish, it takes about two weeks to establish it, as you probably know, and then really it's low maintenance. It's all about, uh, you know, offense and practice, and the kids like that, and I like coaching offense, and majority of my practices are offense. Uh, the other thing about, too, it speeds the game up. There's more stats individually. There's more stats for the t- for the team. Um, there's a lot, a lot of byproducts that the Twilight Zone brings to a program that – that a traditional man or half court zones don't just because it speeds the game up. There's more possessions and there's more action. Yeah. I love that. I, I really want you to coach me up. So I'm, I'm going to share what we do and then I want you to coach me up because uh, I want you to be my okay. consultant <laughs> because we run. It. Um, can you run it? As your only, I'm I'm talking about a college level. Can you run it as your only defense, or are, at the college level, are you trying to change change it up? We run it as an just we run it as an only defense along with our full court press as all one package because I want to be great in one. Yeah. Defense. Well, I think in a perfect world, Kevin, that's that's what I like to do too. Is uh, uh, play 40 <laughs> minutes of it at the college level. Um, when you do right. that and the other, the other byproduct of it is, you know, we all scout, we all try to get the edge of our opponents and this defense to me, again, I, I'll use the word in a perfect world where everything's clicking is that your opponents mm-hmm. will spend the majority of their practice getting ready for you. 
they'll spend the majority of their practice locking into certain passing angles, certain driving lanes, certain shots to get against your defense. And when they do that, then they're actually giving up uh, kind of like who are they and some of their strengths. I also believe, too, is that uh, uh, the twilight zone, you can, if, if they're attacking certain angles with the pass or lanes with a drive, all you have to do is move over, move over a couple of your primer kids, maybe back up your, your back kids in a different lineup. All of a sudden, those angles are gone and those lanes are gone. And then your opponents kind of look at each other, okay, what do we do now? Because they're so driven in the last two or three days of practice, this is how we're going to do it. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough defense to scout against. It's a tough defense to, to bring a game plan against. And it's especially good tournament defense because uh, very little prep time at all uh, because the game plan is so unique and so different from every other opponent uh, you're bringing in an advantage right there with very little prep time at all to get ready for you. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and I, now, I'll... Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado want you because a lot of my listeners are going what the <laughs> heck are they talking about um and start with the alignment and i um and I, I i've been coached up because i've i've interviewed quite a few people that run the run the defense at the high school and college level um last year i ran it with i call my two front guards chaser and the ball side guard is what i call chaser strong the weak side uh, chaser up top, as I call uh, chaser help. I don't call anything chaser strong weak. Yeah. I don't want the word weak. And then I have my stealers in the back because I want them gambling and trying to get steals. And then I have my protector in the middle. Talk about the alignment and do you call them anything numbers or, or how do you how do you how okay, do you line up? Uh, let me reflect back. Too, before I build the the defense for you from visually, and I, I like your I like your visual okay. uh, you know aspect of, of the positioning. But this is way back '94, I believe, at Southern Nazarene is probably the best team I ever had. Uh, we actually 34 and 0 on the season, won the NAI national championship. Uh, back then, they had the Dunkel ranking, ranking, and it's kind of like the Sagarin these days. But the Dunkel, we were the number one team in the country. Uh, in February, and we ended up number six in the country at all divisions. But this this team had a perfect build for the Twilight Zone, and I didn't have names for positions. We just called it one, two, three, four, and five. But I did have some physical requirements, right. and this team made it perfectly. Uh, my one guard, which might have been your chaser strong, I, I'm not sure exactly how you classify it. Yeah, but she. She was the <laughs> yes. quick one. She was set up on the right-hand side of the floor as we're facing the defense or facing the offense. She was quick. She had to cover a lot of ground. Uh, 
Um, and my two top guards in today's world, a lot of times there's a volleyball court line on the basketball court. And that volleyball court, which is about a line, which is about probably 10 feet above the top of the key, that's where these two would start. And on the right-hand side for us was our quick little guard. And the left-hand side was our two guard. And the college game, my perfect position up there is about a 6'1", really long arms. Uh, and she's on that side yeah, because sure. most teams, high school or college, boys or girls, if they have a right-handed point guard, they're going to go right the majority of the time. And so I put our, our long, lanky uh, two guard in that position because their opposing team's point guards are usually right-handed. And in order, in order to make the entry pass, there was a lot of length right there. And they had to lob it over her arms or make a slow bounce pass around her. And so those two positions, because that first pass usually made to the, the uh, offensive team's right side, our little guard, she's covering that top position over to the ball side high post. That's where she's guarding. And then the top right. guard, our lanky two guard, basically she just retreats and stays in the pass lane back to the wing. Um, and so that's kind of the, the physical requirements of those two. Now, the back line, it's an extended three, uh, two, three zone, mm-hmm. maybe a two, one, two is probably a better call. But the mm-hmm. back, our back left side facing you know, our, you know, our opponent's left, that was our most athletic kid because that first pass going to the right, going over our length up top, our athletic kid, she has the most chances for steals. And she'll steal that first pass, right. that long bounce pass or that lob pass and go get the layup. Um, that's our most a- athletic kid. Um, the other kid on the other side of the floor um, is our best rebounder, our most physical kid, because teams go to the right most of the time. Most of their shots are on the right-hand side of the floor. Most of the rebounds have put on the left-hand side of the floor, and that's where our rebounder is located. So that 2-1-2 zone, the back line, the back left is athletic, and the back right is our best rebounder. And then the middle kid mm-hmm. is our stereotypical classic uh, post kid. She covers a, a big triangle. The longer she is, the more athletic she is, the better she is. And uh, a lot of times, Kevin, she leads in steals. Um, and if we're able to draw it on the screen, uh, maybe we can do a Zoom sometime in the future if you'd like to. But uh, typically, sure. yeah, absolutely. what happen is a point-to-wing <clears throat> pass. The post is wide open because the bottom wing has gone out, you know, to cover that first pass, and that low post looks wide open. She's sliding down there, and a lot of times that wing will catch it, throw it a wide open post, but she's sliding right down in front and gets a steal. Um, a lot of times that happens. Sure. My in that '94 <laughs> team, I had a player by the name of Student Ajay, uh, and she played the WNBA for ten years after her career at Southern Nazarene NAI school. And she was just the best of that, about 6'2", very long, very athletic uh, young lady from the Senegal in West Africa. And uh, just quite a player and quite a professional career after that. But that 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 team was really locked into uh, positioning. And the top two kids, the guard, one uh, point, uh, little point guard, Oklahoma kid, uh, the top left kid was a six-one Russian kid, and then our backline girls were a girl by the name of Sherilyn Morris, a very athletic, 
five nine ish uh, transfer from University of Washington, uh, but it just it was stacked and uh, as as a group of five, and rarely did they play much of the second half because we got such a lead in the first half that the second half was pretty much there on the <laughs> there on the bench watching and cheering. And so that got Stu, I think she averaged seventeen minutes a game that year because the defense is just so dominant and we scored so many points off of it. Did you did you have another defense or was that that was it? That you guys just kind of used that and maybe uh, picked up at different points. Did you have like uh, yeah. you know a secondary but, uh, defense? It kind of varied from year to year. That team is so dominant. We just went to a, a sagging man the second half and and uh, be quite honest, just try to keep the game respectable because we, we were just so good that year and had all the bases covered. But uh, right. as far as we, we've done a lot of what you what you just mentioned too earlier is that I like to play a, a matchup zone defense and then jump into the twilight. Um, I like to go a two two one full court into twilight. Um, when we when we start in the matchup zone, one of three ways um, we'll jump into it. One will be by position. If the ball enters the left-hand side wing, we might say, or maybe the left-hand corner, we jump from a, from a, a, a zone, um, matchup zone into our twilight. Or we could tell the kids at a timeout, you know, high, high right wing, we jump into it. Or we might say um, in the scouting report, opposing team's weakest passer, maybe number 25. Well, so in that scenario, we might say, okay, when 25 catches the ball, we jump into twilight. Um, the third way we jump into twilight would be um, on amount of passes. We might say the fourth pass. And so we're in a matchup zone. <clears throat> the defense is, is trying to set up a zone offense. So they, they move the ball around one, two, three, four, and we jump into it. Um, and that's, that was very effective, especially with the shot clock, because a lot of times zone offenses waste time setting things up. And also we jump into the twilight and there's 15 seconds left. And now the pressure is really in the offense, try to create something. So uh, it's all, I, I, I'm a zone coach. Um, and um, a lot of things, we try to disguise our twilight with our matchup zone. Um, I, the two, two, one, like you said, flows really well into the twilight zone. And so right. I, I just think, uh, <clears throat> you know, most teams you play against, have a good three-point shooter uh good teams have two good three-point shooters um but very few teams have three good three-point shooters and so the twilight zone also is built to uh to to uh intercept skip passes and most zone offenses skip pass through the three and so if we know who their best three-point shooter is the best two three-point shooters will kind of lean towards them anticipate the skips towards them and go for those steals. And so uh, it's a, you know, it's a defense as you probably felt too, Kevin, man, once you get it, it's not real fundamental. It's run and jump It's run and steal. It's run and dive. It's, it's, it's high risk. And uh, uh, once you get established, then uh, 80, 90, maybe hundred percent of your practice time is offense. And uh, man, the kids love that you know, shooting drills and forget, forget the step slide stuff, you know, <laughs> drop your fanny. It's all about running and getting right. steals. So 
it kind of feeds itself when things are going good for you. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think, um, and I think does, it does take a while to build. And I, um, our team, uh, uh, like last year, um, you know, we had our, we had our best season ever, but I, I had my two little guards who are freshmen, uh, very quick, very smart, but the ball was thrown over them. Now they, they moved well, but they, they didn't have the size. So the adjustment that Mike DeVelbus offered to me was bring my, bring my, my forwards up to the top who are also athletic and then bring my, my little guards into the steel spots. So that's the adjustment that I'm going to make just to have a little size. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't think there's, I think it, it's just a fun defense to kind of be creative. Uh, the other thing I add to that, uh, I always try to get across our kids. Our defense is really good when all five of you know all five positions. Because if you get it against a team, I always sure. say the teams that, that we struggled with are the teams that threw caution to the wind and they just tried, they tried to fast break us. They took the first shot that was open. They tried to crash the boards, you know. And so it almost, they tried to match our style of play, uh, you know, offensively. Right. And so uh, I felt my best teams through the years transition defense, which could be hard with the defense like this, but if we're able to act and kind of cover for each other and play multiple positions, um, you know, your little ones might be trapped in the backside, but that's okay because their strength is speed and they will get the steal. Your tall ones, you know, are your best rebounders, but on occasion they may be in the top, you know, because, and, and that's an advantage because they're going to force, you know, bad passes. And so I think you don't get locked into that one, two, three, four, five positions, but especially a team's a fast break because you might just want to kind of slow the ball down or force the ball to a high wing down the side of the floor and boom, go to your spots. And it may be a little bit different, you know, but if all five kids can play five different spots, you, you lock in quicker and you match that and I'm trying to attack you, but you're there and you can, you can, you know, you're flexible enough to, to, to play multiple spots and just to keep the defense going. Yeah. Cause really all the spots are the same, maybe in our system. Um, and talk about now coach, um, like, you know, when the ball's on top balls on the wing and, and corner rotations, but talk about some key principles in the defense. I, I call it walling. We teach what we call walling. So we are not going to give you direct passes, all right? And we're definitely not going to give you two direct passes in a row. And we want to force those high lob passes. That's a exactly. pretty important principle, uh, right? It's all about, you know, passing lane defense, making the lob or making the long bounce pass around mm-hmm. you. Because when you make the def- when you make the offense lob pass or make those long bounce passes, then your defense can shift on the pass or go for the steal on the pass. And so that's, that's a key fundamental in the twilight zone is to, you know, wall up, like you said, wall up in that, that passing lane and force those long passes. Now, when that ball is caught in shooting range where you have a deep three-point shooter or it's on the three-point line, most kids can fire up a three. They may not be good at it, but everybody's got three-point shooting range these days. But if the ball's in shooting range, then our passing lane defense becomes more aggressive and it becomes more of a trapping defense. And so when the ball's caught on a three-point sure. range, 
we're not walling up that passing lane because most kids can fire it up and shoot it. So we're going to go after that trap when the ball's in that shooting range. Now, what most kids do, both boys and girls, if you have hard pressure on them, then that ball comes up over their head to become a passer only. And so we work a lot on stripping the ball when the ball is above the head in a passing position and stepping kind of on the side okay. and slapping with the outside hand across the ball and knocking it out of their hands. And that's one way to steal. Yet another way too, especially it could be outside the three point range or it could be on the three point range, but a lot of kids look for that drive and a lot of coaches anticipate that drive. Uh, want the kids to drive that zone. And so we also work at whether you're walled up in the passing lane or you're trapping pretty hard in three-point range, is that when that ball is put on the floor, man, we, we go after that. You know, well, typically, uh, if you're walled up or you're, you're in the passing lane, you try to visualize this, or you're trapping, if that ball is put on the floor, both kids will step with their outside foot, pivot in, and reach for the ball at the same time. You just dig the ball up and, and make them cough it up. Most steals are done on dribble penetrations against our defense, against our twilight zone. Uh, the second most steals happen typically on, on skip passes. But we, we invite the drive, okay. too, because we, we definitely um, preach and teach and coach, you know, coughing that ball up from the offensive player by, by just swiping through, whether it be on the penetration drive or if the ball comes up above the head and becomes a, a passing angle or a passing uh, position. So, but yeah, I, hopefully I'm explaining where you can visualize it. The coaches are probably run this defense, can probably visualize it. The sure. other ones are being exposed to it for the first time. We go, coach, what, what is he talking about? You know, yeah, it's definitely not fundamental, but it's <laughs> fundamental in its own sense. It has its own skill sets. And uh, you're going to give up. Uh, I may jump ahead to have made another question you might think about, Kevin, but you're going to give up a lot of points too. Um, you know, you're going to score a lot of points, but against give up a lot of points. Uh, I've always thought basketball is underestimated for its momentum aspect of the game. You know, volleyball is a very momentum game. You watch a volleyball match and one team will score five or six, seven points. The other team will score five or six, seven points, you know, and the other team will score five or six, seven, eight, nine points, you know, and, there's a lot of momentum uh, as far as scoring. Uh, Twilight Zone creates momentum, too. It creates a lot of possessions in a game. And one of my favorite games to look back on is, is classic. As you as a coach sit on the bench, sometimes it has to bite your lip a little bit. Because I remember we played at TCU in a WNIT first-round match uh, game. And we fell behind 19-4. to uh, might have been 17 6, might have been 21 to 2. I don't remember, but uh, in the first six, seven minutes, they hit several threes, hit a couple of drives. Uh, but we kind of thought that, you know, the score, they tend to be more of a fundamental team, more of a team that's kind of scores in the 60s and set, you know, 60s. And here they have 19 points in about six minutes, and we only have four. Um, we like the tempo of the game because it's going up and down. But we were missing shots. They were making shots. And we thought, should we bail out of this thing? You mm -hmm. know? Sure. Or should we stay with who we are? <clears throat> and obviously, you probably know the answer. You got to stay with who you are. And by half, the game was, I think, right. we were down by two or three. 
And end of the game, we won by about uh, 11 or 12 on their floor. It was a really good first-round WIT win for us against a team that probably was supposed to beat us, probably. But I think our style of game, it was too fast, too many possessions. And over the, over the, over the 40 minutes, uh, it caught up to them and, and swung to our favor. So it's very tempting as a coach. Man, you give up some easy shots. You give up uh, a lot of points. But then you got to have confidence in who you are and what you're trying to do. And these same kids that won that game, I also remember, too, in a timeout in a really close game, I said, okay, girls, what defense should we play this last possession? And it was resounding Twilight, Twilight coach. You know, there's confidence in it. And uh, that's who we were. That's who we are. Yeah, that's that's a great story because I think a lot of us, we make adjustments based on score, which we should be making it based so. on tempo, um, correct? You know, you, um, you you increase the possessions. It, it kind of, uh, you know, the uh, the points per possession now, the offensive, the, the money ball types of thing, uh, uh, points per possession offensively. What Twilight is, when you're, when you're hitting all cylinders, you're getting a lot of fast break shots, and there's no better shot than the fast break shot. Uh, and then defensively, you're 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 giving up a lot of mid-range shots because you take the three away typically, and you force the drives. And from the offense perspective, the mid-range uh, pull-up jump shot is the lowest point per point per possession shot. And so you're you're there's things that exactly. build right. in that over a period of 32 minutes in a high school game or 40 minutes in a game, you know, money ball, it begins to kind of working its way out uh, both offensively and defensively with efficiency. So unless you just have a really bad night or you just, you're just really overmatched, you have a really good shot at being successful based on money ball principles, you know, high efficiency defense, high efficiency offense. And then when you create possessions, it's even more to your favor. You speed the game up. It's more to your favor. Yeah, and I, I'm going to give you some concepts, Coach, and I want you to kind of give me your opinion, which I know you will. So um, a, talk about closeout. This, to me, this is the hardest thing to teach because let's say the ball goes from the point to the wing. You're not closing out to the ball, at least what I teach. We close out to passing lanes, which is hard for kids because most kids are learning how to close exactly. out, square up exactly. to the ball, correct? And when the ball swung around, same thing. You're not closing out to the, the player. You're closing out to the lane. And so if, you, if the coach is listening, can visualize that right. point-to-wing pass, and the top kid is, is closing down in the passing lane, the bottom kid is closed out on the bottom side passing lane. Then what is the offensive player thinking? Well, that straight driving lane's open. And so catch and drive, well, then both, both kids in passing lanes then close into and swipe at the ball that's being put on the floor. Uh, also built into this that it's kind of hard to visualize, but you always have a second line there that's kind of protecting the drive. And so as that ball is being penetrated from the wing, sure. the high post kid then steps out and kind of shunts the, the offense, kind of hesitates the offense there. Your two side girls are closing in and swiping at the ball. And it's really, it takes a high level driver, a high level ball handler to take that lane and be successful in it. So exactly right. There's no, 
there's no closeouts in our twilight zone defense. It's actually running to a position. It's running to that passing lane, forcing the drive, and then closing out on that dribble penetration that way with just swiping for the ball. Uh, so, yeah, and it's, it's again, the if the ball then is, is kind of driven into that lane two or three times and then passed out to the other side of the floor, well, we're going for that skip pass feel, but if we can't get it, then we're going to those passing lanes. And we're closing out in those passing lanes. And we're forcing, again, long bounce passes, which are slow passes or uh, skip passes or passes over outstretched hands that can be stolen from the backside. So, yeah, it, it's a defense that, that pushes action. And I think the other thing I've always liked about it, when again, I kind of have a big if word. If things are clicking for you, the kids are bought in, you have – kids that can play these spots uh, then the offense tends to never be in good rebounding position uh, they just aren't they're spread out around the floor trying to make successful passes they typically shoot up long threes and there's nobody on the inside of you getting defense getting a rebound so uh, defensively you have good rebound advantage and then your guards are already out there out front you make a high long outlet pass and here we go Yeah, that's so true. I love the uniqueness. Uh, the one thing um, you talked about creativity. I, I definitely consider myself a um, creativity. I try to be different in everything that we do because I think that's an that's an identity factor. I, I don't want to be like you know uh, another team. I, I want to have our own identity, and I think this defense really kind of. Oh, it's, it's suited to that, it, correct? It really I mean, is. it's, it's very unique. Kids buy into it. <laughs> uh, the fans will buy into it. They, they, they kind of, the parents and the and the your boosters and your just your basketball fans in town, they begin to identify with it as up tempo, high action, high scoring uh, offense, and so they take pride in it. Um, one year at Old Roberts, uh, when the lineup was, I think we started four sophomores. We actually led the country in steals and led the country in scoring. Um, and that was a Division One level. And, uh, you know, just the enthusiasm in the program, uh, the locals buy into it. Uh, everybody, everybody likes to watch offense, you know. Everybody likes to see that, that, that uh, ticker up there go to triple digits. Um, you know, it's fun. It, it, things are, you know, <laughs> happening sure. that way. And I think uh, I heard this from, from maybe the Grinnell coach because they – he is all about offense. Uh, Grinnell men uh, division three. And I got a lot of my offense yeah. principles from him, but he said he'd rather lose a game 115 to 113 than win a game 58 to 55. <laughs> you know? So I think there's, there's some truth yeah, to that. When absolutely. About selling the program and selling excitement and uh, creating some, some pride and being unique and being creative and having fun doing it. Yeah, for sure. Go talk about, th- these are kind of what I call developers concepts. Um, and I, I know you probably, you probably actually sold it to him and taught him as well. Stay wide horizontally uh, in the defense on that. And I, that's where I want coaches to kind of understand this defense. You got to get out wide. You got to play big. Yeah. Right. So that's and, that's a key my, term, right? Stay wide. De- Devilblis did a really good job in 
in promoting the buzz, as he called it. And, and I know he's got some good stuff online. Uh, I've never documented. I, I'm always, uh, I'll always give uh, what I know, and but I, I'm not a big uh, writer and uh, a big promoter of, of, of these things, but I'll, I'll share it with anybody. And I know Mike's done a really good job with that. He's got some good stuff out there. And I, I think, you know, the defense itself, um, uh, the top line kids are trying to force action. The back line kids are trying to create action, you know, with steals. And uh, the back line kids, okay. they're literally, if I can kind of give you a visualization, the top kids are in the passing lane from the point to the wing. Uh, probably about 10 feet from the ball and probably about 15 feet behind him is the wing player. The, the, the second line kids, the, the two wings, they're for back, lack of better ways of saying it, their butts are probably to the corner of the, uh, of the, of the floor. And so they can kind of visually see the wing. They can visually see a low post and they're kind of in that center, that shortstop mentality, you know, butts dropped and they have the ability to, maybe attack the wing and go for that, that, that steal from point to wing, or they have the ability. A lot of times that point guard sees that low post sitting down there all by themselves because your, your post player on defense is at the top of the key. And so that post position is wide open. So that athletic kid in mm-hmm. the back or that sure. big rebounder on the other side, they can bait that long pass too. So you can bait that point to low post pass and then go get it because that's a long pass. That's in there a lot of a lot of time, and so that athletic kid, a lot of times she'll play a little bit on the high side, and bait that point to low post pass, and then go steal it, you know. So that those second line kids, they can bait a lot of those passes. Let's hit the balls at the wing spot. The other wing looks wide open, but your offside wing player who's kind of protecting that low post lane, she's kind of baiting that wing to wing pass, and then she go gets it. So. The second line players, they really create steals. They got it. They're they're kind of baiting a certain pass. They're anticipating passes, but they got to be aggressive and go after passes. Or the hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, athletic director and girls basketball coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments, and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and and grow as coaches. Hello, my name is Rory Hamilton. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Norman North High School in Norman, Oklahoma. If you're looking for top-notch basketball coaching instruction and help, look no further than the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. You can listen about our five keys to success at Norman North Girls Basketball, along with many other podcasts at championshipvision.org or listen on Spotify at Championship Vision. Happy hooping. And kids kind of, kind of, kind of in that pass lane position, kind of uh, uh, enable or, or kind of tell the kids to make long passes or long bounce passes. But the second line kids, they're, they're looking. You know, they're, they're, they're the shortstop. They're going to go make a play. Yeah, that's that's a really fun position on that. I think you got to find. I, I think those two positions are key. I think you have to. Um, I, I think it all starts with the top, though, because 
if you have girls at the top forcing and chasing up top, it takes teams I, way out I of their agree, offensive rhythm. I agree. And then, too, they, uh, it's intimidating because uh, you got two kids standing up there, you know. And uh, I think, uh, you know, as, as one of the things, one of the adjustments I made, too, Kevin, is that you, you're going to play against some high school offensive teams that can thread the pass and do certain things with it. So what I also like to sure. do, I also like to start in a one, three, one. And what it does, just play one, three, one defense, two or three possessions. It just changes the whole angles mm-hmm. up. Right. And then we jump back into the twilight and that one, three, one will just, that, that very same pass that was threaded for a bucket. Now all of a sudden is disappears. It's not there. And so the offense tends to kind of move back a little bit make some adjustments and bam, you jump back into the twilight. So a lot of times that, that one, three, one will, will give you a, a look for two or three possessions that slows the offense down a little bit, makes them hesitate. The other thing is too, creative with a pencil, three, one look. And then as that pass is made, that point on the one, three, one just slides down the pass lane and you can, you're in twilight. Basically the middle girl drops a low post the offside wing, you know, uh, drops uh, to the high post, and boom, you're in your you're twilight. So there, there's different ways with a matchup zone or a 1-3-1. One, one. You can slow an offense down just for a moment, make them think, and then, boom, you jump in there to 22, and you all, let all the aggression out, and here we go. Yeah, you're talking my language, uh my friend, you're talking. I mean, I love that. Um, and the one three one is it, way way rerun it is very similar. I, I love the change up look. I, I love that. And I, I tell you, you throw at our level, coach, the high school yeah. level, and Kevin, we, there's have, very few uh, guards that can handle that. Shot clock in the high school uh, game out there in your state. Okay, we I know uh, not, around the country. No, sir, not in Georgia. School, no uh, states that have the shot clock and. That's the advantage of a twilight zone because they're forced to attack you. You know, they're, they're forced to create action. And that's what you're doing anyway. You're forcing action. Now, without the shot clock, um, you know, high skilled teams may be, uh, you know, try to create patience in their game plan and, and try to wear you out. But a lot of times I remember coaching high school ball with it that these high school teams that choose to be patient. Well, that's not their skill set, and they're actually bending to you, and we try to create confidence with our program. The more a team adjusts to us, the more advantage we have. And uh, so we'll, uh, you know, the other thing, too, about the twilight and, and up-tempo defenses, you also play more kids typically, which is cool. You know, you sub more. And so you can keep the action right. up even with no shot clock because you are subbing more also. Um and whereas other teams are, you, you develop depth over a period of time in your team culture. Um, where the other teams may play six, seven, eight kids, you may play eight, nine, 10, 11 kids, just as your culture is bought in and your skill level. I, I think it's a lower skill level defense, but it's a higher mental, emotional, high risk defense. And so you don't necessarily need the high skill kids to play this. Right. You just need high risk kids that buy in. And so you can probably play more kids in your program over a period of time, developmental wise, than maybe the traditional program can. 
Yeah, and, and and you know, at, at the high school level, it's about fun. If kids are not having fun and enjoying it, you're going to lose kids in your program. I'm a firm, I'm a firm believer in that. And you know what? As coaches, yeah. we have yeah. to have fun teaching it. So that's that's a big part too. Coach, talk about sink and clutter on dribble penetration, or even where we get beat sometimes is on a high post pass. Yeah. That those wings well, have to sink uh, and clutter. Everybody has to. You know, teams that maybe attack with a one-four set entry pass or uh, have that high post. We have ba- a basic rule when a high post kid catches it from any part of the floor, our post kid has to come up and guard it. And our two wings automatically drop below. We call it pinch. They drop to the paint. Our top two kids will come back and triple team the ball and what we call squeeze it, squeeze the ball out, and then you're back. So let me back up here. Let's just say there's a point to high post pass. Well, our high post girl has to circle back or find some way to guard that ball. What looks open right then is a low post pass. But our wing, (laughs) if the high post should ever catch it, they retreat back. And you'd be surprised how many times a high post catches it, man, a low post, my low post team is wide open. They throw it down there, but you're retreating wing players. And so you take a position, you take a play that could burn you, but you're actually retreating back into position for a steal. Um, now, if the high post does catch it, we have, again, we call a triple team. We squeeze the ball out. And so let's just say they're the two top guards retreat back. The the high post girl, there's a triple team there. Your two wing players retreat back in the paint. Now they cough the ball out. They squeeze the ball out. And then we run right back into our, our passing lanes, our twilight. It's on. And so you take a you take a, a play that could have beat you, but you could steal opportunity out of it. Now you got a triple team. Now they cough the ball back out and they back into your twilight. So right. Hopefully, I explained that well enough to to give that the visual to our coaches out there in that situation. The teams that you might ask, well, what teams gave you the most problem? The teams that gave me most of the problem, and but there was there was an adjustment to it. Was a deep corner three, kids that can really hit the hit the shot well. You know, the deep corner three. Um, but then sure. you got to look exactly. at yeah. That's also the lowest percentage shot on the floor. There's no backboard behind it, so. If they're going to beat you from the deep corner three, so be it. But if we wanted to, to stop that action, then we'd, we'd, we'd create out of our positioning, we're going to double team that ball in the deep corner. They're not going to shoot it at the same token. It's a deep corner trap hard. And then we extend our defense out. And we try to steal the pass out of the deep corner. But deep corner three-point shooting teams, we did have to make adjustments to, but – the adjustments could be made. The other teams that that gave us problems, teams that were not afraid to shoot the three, and they just sold out and they just crashed the boards from all over. They might give up the layup, uh, the layup or the fast break to us, but they're just going to crash the boards. It made the game sloppy. It became even more up tempo. But again, philosophically, the more up tempo was, the more we liked. But those teams tend to kind of give us a little bit of problem that just reckless abandoned offensive rebounders, we're going to crash it. You know, we're going to shoot the three and we're going to crash it. So, 
But again, over the period of 40 minutes, we had, we had a lot of confidence in saying, you know, statistics will catch up and we'll, we'll get ours. You'll get, you'll get yours. And, and we got a good chance of winning this game. Yeah. And I want to transition right into those two. Um, if, if you're going to trap that corner, we have, we have a big six, two girl that's in the five spot. Uh-huh. Her weakness is our weakness is that corner. Um, so the, the, it, that's hard to trap for her. So what we do is we kind of, I have my back wing right there, kind of match up and get closer to the to that play. It's almost like a matchup, and we just try to kind of we match up with the the guard on the wing or whatever too. So we kind of match no. up with the shooter with my back wing. I know that sounds kind of crazy. Uh, now without yeah, the, no, the big girl, then we doing, trap it. Kevin, Is that a good adjustment? I've got the twilight. Mike Davidovich has, has the the buzz, and, and you've got the sting. You know, so we all have our own little variations. <laughs> match to our, our personnel. I love it. I love it, coach. <laughs> that deep corner three in the twilight. I think more than than the buzz, but the deep corner three in the twilight. <laughs> the pressure typically comes from the wing who is in the passing lane, and if the ball's in the corner, it's her job is to force the lob pass from the wing to the corner. And if that lob pass is made, then she's going to have time to hustle down there. And as the ball is caught, all the pressure is, is gone from the high side on that deep corner three-point shooter. It's kind of weird pressure because the basket looks open because your post kid is in the short corner with her hands up. And all the pressure comes from that, that wing spot coming down on the on the high high side of her and so but if we do have a three-point shooter down there then we'll just sell out all out trap and then try to steal out of the corner but what you're doing in the sting and what mike does in the buzz what i does in the twilight um they're all adjustments based on our personnel and <laughs> and i think they're minor adjustments versus our opponents which is the key i i, I think it's kind of a john wooden thing the team that adjusts the most is probably the team is going to lose. You know, uh, John Wooden did things very simply. He, he did a two-two-one, right, right. It was zone press into a man-to-man. Offensively, they ran the UCLA high post cut. Um, you know, everybody knew what they're doing, but everybody adjusted to them, mm-hmm. and they made no adjustment to their opponents. And obviously, success speaks. But I think philosophically, that's kind of what we do with our twilight. Is that I don't want to adjust a whole lot because I want possessions to be high. I want steals to be high. I want to score a lot of points. Um, and then I want them to adjust more to us than we do to them. And I think that typically, again, the team that adjusts the most probably is going to have a greater chance to lose a ball game. Yeah, yeah that's a great do point, good. coach. Yes. Uh, do what you do. do. What you do right. Like, and make do what, them and, do what you do. You know? uh, that's a great point. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, Coach. I, um, man, you're. I really appreciate you sharing this, man. We I, we got it. We got to do a Zoom podcast with with you, man, so that coaches can see it, uh, you know, visually. But uh, you're doing a great job explaining it. Uh, my next question is, like you said before, rebounding. What we do is we send, and I got this from Mike DeBelbus, two and a half kids. 
So we're sending players to the weak side. That's hard to do because that that, yeah. that takes a well, lot Kevin, of work. Kevin, what do you do to rebound better? The way, uh, wherever the ball is shot, you know, and this is where a zoom would come in, and I know you can visualize things, but <laughs> there's always an offside rebounder, um, and there's always on-the-ball pressure. You're, you're kind of having – on the ball side of the floor, you, you're going to have three or a lot of times four kids. Off the ball, you're going to have one kid. Um, and so there, our high post player, there's always somebody on the high post. We have them trying to release weak side and help that weak side player, you know, who's already there, rebound. Because most rebounds will obviously bounce to the other side of the floor. Um I'm reflecting back early in our conversation on, on teams that I had most success with our five player led us in steals. And you probably conceptually see where all those steals can happen for her consistently, but our one guard led us in rebounding a lot of times, a lot of seasons, because most teams shoot from the right side of the floor, that right wing. And when the right wing is shooting the ball by rotation, your one guard is weak side all by herself over there. And, but you think about it, a long wing shot typically produces a long offside wing rebounder, a rebound. And so that little one guard, you know, she's aggressive. Right. She's covering a lot of floor. I mean, she's getting a lot of offside rebounds because most shots are happening on the right side of the floor. And she's off the race with a dribble drive up the floor, getting a, re- getting a rebound, you know, dribble outlet and layup herself. But when the when the twilight is dying around the floor, you'll always have one offside rebounder there already. That's just the way it's built. And then what Coach Mike uh, DeVibulis is saying is that you're always going to have a high post player. And it's probably within reason to always have that player go weak side. And flood the weak side to help just in case. But uh, the side, right. team I'm talking about, which is ancient history, you know, but I wish it was, I mean, I remember like yesterday, but our leading stealer was <laughs> the middle girl. Uh, and our leading rebounder was a little point guard, a little redhead point guard by the name of Becky Cole, <laughs> about five, six. And she's tough. She's an offensive player. And, but she's a great defensive rebounder because she knew, she knew she was going to get a layup. You know, if, if she she if she got that rebound, so that offside rebound. And the other thing, too, I, I like to create in our players. Um, this is really random, Kevin, but I like for them to be a little bit, a little bit selfish offensively because if you're a little bit selfish, you're going to get a steal. If you're a little bit selfish, you're going to go get that long rebound because that steal, that long rebound, a lot of times is two points for you. You know, and so I like kids that, that want to score points, be a little bit selfish defensively, take a chance, take a risk, because at the end of that risk, there's also a chance for a layup. And man, everybody wants to score points, you know. So uh, that one year at Old Roberts, we led the country in scoring and, and steals. I had a player by the name of Kevin Looper, who actually made our Pan American team because of that season. And she led the country in scoring and steals individually. And when you have high possessions, what the other good fun byproduct of, of a high possession game and defenses usually create high possession games, but you know, twilight is a high possession defensive game. Mm, um, sure. But you also get a lot of stats 
and everybody likes to score points. Everybody likes to get steals. Everybody likes to be recognized. So that, that's pretty cool, too, you know, to have statistically be rewarded with, you know, points and steals and rebounds and, and high-possession games just naturally produce statistics. And that's always a good byproduct also for your program. Right. And on the rebounding side, to me, the hardest thing is to get blockouts because kids kids are all over the place yeah, on that. You better get right. to a I mean, spot first, right? I think it's harder to develop this than it was than maybe kids of the yesterday, yesteryear. But, you know, rebounds also have to do with anticipation. Um, I, at the college level, I like to challenge our kids, that, sure. especially when you're playing a lot of Twilight Zone, is that it's a calculated risk, but we want high-risk players. It may be better not to block that player out, but go get the rebound. You know, uh, players on the outside wing, when they see that shot being shot up on that other side, the other wing, and they know that ball is going to hit the heel of the rim, it's probably going to bounce out at a high angle. You know, uh, yeah, go down, kind of lock in, and, and by chance get in the way of that that offensive rebounder, but anticipate that high, long angled rebound, you know, or that ball shot in the corner, deep corner. If it hits the front of the rim, it's probably going to bounce over on the other, other uh, baseline side, you know, and so go towards the rebounding spot um, where that ball is going to go. But you're going to be flooding rebound angles and probably get in front of people, but it's probably more importantly, don't hold your rebound position very long, you know, go get the rebound. Yeah, and I, I'm really um, – of course, I love the game and so forth. I want to do a study on do you get more rebounds after blocking out or do you get more rebounds yeah. um, just on pursuit better? Where I mean, I, I've seen the yeah. best rebounding teams we face, they're not blocking out, man. They just have girls well, I think that can pursue rebounds I mean, I outside ben, their reach. old enough to remember Dennis Rodman. I don't know if he ever blocked anybody out, you know. He might yeah. have, but he's, he's just chasing the rebounds down. You know, he's he's aggressively going to find that, that rebound where it bounced and uh, trying to create those Dennis, reba- mm-hmm. uh, Dennis Robin type of rebounders that just kind of swarm, swarm ball. But that, that'd be a really good study. I do know kids can hold rebound positions too long and not get the rebound. You know, I do know kids can hold rebound positions and foul because right. they're holding. Um, that's a whole other concept, too, blocking out is that, I like to teach kids to front pivot into the offense, uh, check your hip into their thigh and kind of create contact on their thigh. And it kind of freezes them for a second, but create that contact and then release, go, go find the ball. And so I do like to have contact just with your hip into her thigh, you know, with a, with a front pivot, you know, hip into the thigh and then go chase the ball. If you get the hip into the thigh, they typically kind of kind of dead legs them, kind of freeze them a second, and then you go chase the ball down. Yeah, um, yeah. Freezes, I think one of yeah. the worst things you can do is get a defensive yeah, rebound I love that. foul by holding. You slow the game up. You give them the ball back. You get a foul. You know you don't want a foul in a high possession game because it slows the game down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Coach, I know this. Hey, this is. A, I'll, I'll be. I'll be honest with you. You're giving some great information for us, coaches. Uh, I might have to go two parts in this. <laughs> Breaking up in the 
two podcasts. My my last question is, we love the press two two one, and what we do. And I'm not saying this is the right way, but we find it easier. Soon as that ball, if the ball crosses mm-hmm. half court, now we, we we're trying to get traps up high, but if all passes half court, we're automatically the guard forward trap, but we're right there into our buzz. So we're going to transform exactly. right into Good our buzz again. if I mean, the ball crosses half court. You're, you're well versed on it, and I, again, I wouldn't call it the buzz; I call it the sting. You know, you're onto something because uh, you know you're exactly <laughs> right, and the two two one. Um, I like to go that route, or I like to be very passive and just slow the ball down, just slow it down, and then clamp into the, the twilight, then attack it, you know. Um, but the 2 2 1 is a perfect full court defense, you know, sliding into your, into your twilight, into your staying, into your buzz. But no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, you're, you're well versed in it, and I can see your success. Uh, from that defensive side because, uh, you know, boom, I, I can visualize exactly what you're saying. That's a, good, a very good call. Right, right. I appreciate that. And of course, you know, of course, yeah, you know, when you exactly. press, sometimes it, it works, sometimes it doesn't, right? Um, exactly. And sometimes but it creates tempo, one, creates tempo, and that's what we want. Give you a free possession, just throw the ball, out, you know, throw the ball away. Um, and that, that's good too. And I, you know, the, the, the twilight is a high yes. defense and your kids do get tired. You do have to sub. And sometimes that two, two, one for me is okay. Take a deep breath, let them walk the ball to the floor. You know, that's when we're going to rest just for that instant, that, that eight seconds, you know, and then we clamp on them. So, uh, but yeah, it's not a perfect defense, but when you have kids bought into it and you or things are clicking for you, I've always said that, if the, if the teams are evenly matched, skill set, and physically, you're going to win because of Twilight. I think if, if you have a better skill set and you're more athletic than your opponents, you're going to blow your opponents out. That's the difference. And if you have a, a skill set and you're physically not quite as good as your opponents, it may give you that edge. Uh, you probably can't use it the whole game, but it may give you the edge situationally to keep the game close and give yourself a chance. But I've got a lot of confidence in it. And again, when I look back on kind of some things up regretfully, I didn't show that same confidence out of Utah State. I tried some other things and uh, I just kind of backed off to what I've been preaching for quite a while. And uh, I wish I would have uh, done it more and done it more effectively and, and uh, you know, kind of been there and done that uh, this last six or seven years. But um, if I get back into coaching, if I'll get, I'll give you one more story. I, the highest level I ever coached was, was, was one day um, last fall, last early fall, late summer, uh, one of the top uh, Chinese professional teams was in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, they heard about this defense and I, I, mm-hmm. I flew up there on my own dime and wasn't paid a cent. I didn't want any money. I wanted to share it with a high level team and they had two six sixes and a six seven. And uh, it was a professional Chinese team. that was really good. They're actually called the Beijing Great Wall. Uh, Jeremy Lin plays for the men's side, the Beijing Ducks. Uh, this is Beijing Great Wall. And it was a pleasure coaching them. Okay. It was so much fun. So I think the higher you go up, I think it's successful. I think it's a great high school defense. I think at all levels, but it gets back to the belief set, you know, the belief system, the confidence system, and, and sticking with it and staying with it because there, there is a learning curve. But once the belief sets in with the skills – Uh, Man, it's fun to coach, just like. 
Coaches, I hope you enjoyed the podcast of Coach Jerry Finkbeiner. I think he gave us a lot of wisdom on how to run the Twilight Zone or Buzz Defense. Uh, let me give you his contact information. It's Jerry Finkbeiner at yahoo.com. That's J E R R Y F I N K B E I N E R. Um, and I apologize for some of the audio that's on the podcast. A little bit rough, but uh, we were able to get as much as we can in. So uh, thank you for listening to the Championship Vision podcast. Uh, look forward to my next podcast coming soon. And also, Jerry and I are going to do a Zoom cast uh, probably in the next two weeks so you can see the visuals of the Twilight Zone defense. Thank you for listening. Hey, coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast.